Hi there. Thank you for downloading, listening to, and watching the Lean Into Artcast. This is, this is a show. This is a podcast. This is a video cast where a couple of visual storytellers get together and take on various topics that tend to cross one's path. When you go on this endeavor of communicating with images, we think hard about this stuff, so you will too. My name is Jersey Drost. I am a cartoonist and teaching artist, and the other host is named... Hey, I'm Rob Stenzinger. I'm an interactive designer, maker, and I am a podcaster too. Hi, Jersey. That's true. We're both podcasters. Yeah, I, 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 I'm going through my self-introduction in, in a very mm -hmm. rote way because um, I have another job now. I'm a, I'm a, car I'm a, a cartoonist and teaching artist and festival director <laughs> like that's that's like my job job right like i i get paid to do this now so i should be listing that as one of my uh qualifications or one of my uh i don't know occupations um how are you here we are episode 330 in october how you feeling uh well i like this time of year um my birthday is around this time of year, so pretty positive associations with it. The 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 leaves are changing. This is when fall, the the, the season of autumn happens around where, you know, in in our hemisphere. Mm -hmm. I know we share that in common. <laughs> so it's not just in uh, Minnesota in the United States where I'm at, but it's um, yeah, it's a neat time of year. I like this change. There's there's this change in in the air always, and. Mm. Uh, it's it's a it's hard not to be affected by that agreed i mean and then even like when we were children this is when like the new school year is like just underway too so there's that excitement as well um as a kid who you know at least elementary school and middle school i pretty much enjoyed them high school was like yeah that's a little bit of column a and column b on that one uh, but, but elementary school, I really liked. Uh, and so like autumn always makes you think of like, ah, oh, I'm going back to school. I'm going to see all my friends again and all that stuff too. But then yes, there's, there's, you know, the, what we're going to be talking about today. The topic is Halloween and spooky stories this is a time to celebrate some, you know, creepy things. Some maybe a little bit of like dark humor and, uh, and at least in my case, like, sort of elevated mythological stories involving monsters that somehow one way or another uh, point to some of our condition as human beings. Right. But mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I think, I think there's a pretty natural fit that uh, of, of like, why do we, why do we get creepy this time of uh, year in, in a season like this? So yeah. Um, right on. It's, I think uh, I think we were talking about this recently too. I actually, I remember, can't remember where I had this conversation. Um, like, so I recently bought a house in Columbus, where I now live, Columbus, Ohio. And uh, one of the one of the search criteria was is like, do do kids trick or treat in this neighborhood? Like, that was one of the things I was really hung up on. And like, it, it got I didn't realize how important it was to me until I got into conversations with people about it. You know, like, well, what's why is that so important? And I'm like, well, there's something really magical about kids getting dressed up as something else and i get to make a huge fuss over them <laughs> i get to give them candy and say like oh my gosh you're so scary or oh my gosh you're so cool here have some candy and i just go to the next house and get fussed over and told how cool you are you know um probably not gonna happen this year but it's still you know that 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 is part of the excitement of this time of year too is like just the whole dressing up as like what you play acting Right. That's fun, too. 
Mm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's uh, like as a, as a kid and at uh, different stages as an adult, I've I've had time to to do the um, that kind of yearly dress up. It's like cosplay hasn't been a um, just like a like a frequent thing for me. I don't do I don't do theater. I don't do you know, like a variety of outlets where I you know one would get a chance to. Um, you know, to, to dress up, which I guess, you know, that's, that's interesting. I mean, I could have put more into uh, meeting friends to play Dungeons and Dragons, right? I could have, you know, in other role-playing games, like, like, I guess I could have dressed up more, but, um, but this is the, so I guess this is the big obvious opportunity to do that. And so, but yeah, it's, it's, which uh, I guess like more excuse for fantasy, more collective playfulness and, I just there's a lot of ingredients that go toward this being uh, like a, a time that feels different. It feels different than September. It feels different than November, right? Like yeah. October is it is its own thing. Yeah. And it, you know. Yeah, and 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 so you know, for th those who are watching live, we're going to talk about some of our favorite spooky and monster stories from various platforms, like whether they're movies or books or comics or video games. Even um, feel free to share your own in the chat while we're talking about it. And and but uh, the thing I always tell my students in my classroom, but you got to tell me why. Saying just because is not a reason uh, that that's I won't accept that reason as why you like something. You got to give me some evidence, some rationale. Point to one thing. That makes you say, that's why this thing is cool. Because Rob and I are going to do that, too. That's the very lean and tardy way to approach this stuff, right? So mm -hmm. are, are you ready to kick over to it? Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's get into our spooky stories. I kind of wish I had some scary music loaded up, but I'll, <laughs> I'll just go with the scream. <laughs> <laughs> My toe. <laughs> so. Um, uh, that's a, a classic. <laughs> we are now in the episode, so... Uh, well, where do you want to start? You you want to pick you want to pick one first? We both have our lists to go through of of, of scary stories, and I thought in this first part we would just describe them. Like, so we're making the pitch. Here's here's the, what it is and what it's about, and then maybe in the second part of the show we can talk about like why do these stories in particular grab us the way they do? You know, like, can we, can we, can we point at one thing at each of them that says like, okay, that's why this particular kind of spooky story gets to me. Um, cause this is something where also for me, at least as somebody who's very, I would say I have a kind of a reputation for being pretty rated G like, wow, really Jersey, you like scary movies? Like that's, that's interesting. Like, like, well, let's be, let's be clear. There's a certain kind I like, you know, like I don't. Like, I, I've never seen any of the Saw movies because I know the moment I heard what it was about, I was like, not for me. <laughs> I don't want to see that. Uh, so, but like certain kinds I can get super into. Um, and I even enjoy being frightened by them. But um, but now I'll pitch it over to you and see where do you want to start? Pick one of yours. And let's hear about it. Oh, gosh. Well, I, you know, I, it's hard to not get a little bit, little bit meta because I'm going to list things that are pretty old for the most part. Okay. And the, the reason there's reason behind that. It's like, I, I've never uh, been sort of uh, like one who to hugely embrace the extreme stuff, right? Like a, as much, a, as much, you know, gore and scary as one could get, even, you know, as a kid who grew up in the eighties, um, you know, like if it was really super gory, I probably wasn't 
going to make that a priority. Um, but but just a little bit and, and fairly violent and stuff like that to, to have like some, some, some elements that are intense and it is a kind of ride. And I will, we'll go into that later, but like that kind of intensity and in ride uh, was less compatible with uh, my, my partner I chose. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah. So yeah, Kate Shield Stenzinger's, but she's been on the show. We do another show together called art and science punks and uh, oh yeah, she's super not into it. <laughs> Like a classic in our relationship is the story of how, um, like, and I've never been a an intense movie buff, but just I like to I like to understand stories and like to understand the mechanisms people use and like and their intentional choices and stuff. So I'll read a little bit of background and feel a little extra informed and excited. Like I watched Gladiator in the theater a few times. I I enjoyed that movie. Wow. It's pretty violent, but in that I was into like that range of violence and yet i read an article and, I, and it's it was like hey guess what it got a pg-13 rating because all of the stuff happens slightly off frame mm. and i was like it does i'm gonna go watch it again and then i did and i was like oh <laughs> i can watch this with kate <laughs> no i couldn't nope <laughs> like oh check it out this really thoughtful article explained and, I, and what I told her and she, and I'm like, I sold her and I'm like, it was a terrible movie watching experience. Oh, <laughs> See poor how the effect it had on her. And I was like, wow, I made a huge mistake. <laughs> so it, it, it is the opposite in my marriage. Uh, so Ann and I went to see Event Horizon when we were dating. I don't, are you familiar with that movie? It's yeah. Science fiction. I, put it, I love that movie. Oh my gosh, the whole time in the theater, like actually it was about like four minutes in, fingers in my ears, eyes closed, knees up like this, the whole movie, I'm just doing that. I'm like, this is too much, this is too much. And Anne is laughing at it. She's like, this is so dumb. This is so ridiculous over the top. I cannot believe that you were frightened of this. So yeah. <laughs> I That's funny. I was I was right in the middle of that, that, the, that spectrum because I'm like, oh, good. I, what's going to happen next? This is... <laughs> It, it, uh, cause it reminded me of a role-playing adventure that went totally super wrong. Right. Or wow. totally right for one person on the ship. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but not everyone else. <laughs> anyway. Um, so th there's this era that I, uh, and, and a certain range, it's not that I only watch things with Kate, but I frequently do. And you know, it's, of course, we're going to gravitate toward things that we have more common ground in. Anyway, so uh, this, a lot of my stuff is kind of older on this list. Um, let's see. Uh, and, and it's in a certain range. So, yeah, my, my, my um, horror vocabulary doesn't go to Saw, right? Mm -hmm. um, I get curious and I consider and I, I would interview someone who saw Saw, right? And live vicariously through them to understand the reason someone would watch this and maybe glean you know, storytelling techniques, but I wouldn't want to firsthand go for, go there. Um, anyway, oh gosh, it's hard to pick. So I'm going to start with a, uh, a video game. Okay. Since you pitched a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, and this is not a scary game, but it's spooky. Mm. Luigi's Mansion. Um, it's, it's, it's a game where you get to staying in the, in the pitch focus here. You get to, um, you get to be Luigi, which is not as frequent. You know, there's so much emphasis on Mario, but then you're Luigi and you're not this amped up 
powerful. You're pretty capable, but like you're Mario, like cruises around the world, stomping on stuff and, you know, acrobatically going, you know, amazing to amazing heights and flying and all kinds of stuff. Luigi has a vacuum on his back and he's, but it's a pretty sweet vacuum because it can pull both pull and push and interact with the environment, which you're, you're exploring uh, all kinds of mystery and like hidden stuff that, that, um, you know, you're, you're trying to essentially uh, clear a space of, of ghosts and the ghosts will mess you up if you, if you, um, if you aren't, if you're not sort of in the right rhythm with your, your uh, ghost hunting uh, vacuum cleaner and stuff, it's, um, so it's a lot of fun creeping around a mansion and seeing what lurks behind the corners, what's inside all the different things, hmm. trash cans, paintings, you know, dressers, what have you. And uh, you, you know, you, you just, you're just constantly hoping you don't set something off that you're not ready for. And uh, that's, that's a, that's a neat, um, that, that's a neat feeling as, as you uh, cruise around as Luigi. Um, it's, it reminds me, it's like a friendlier, like Luigi's Mansion looks like a friendlier uh, version than uh, one of my all time favorite games, which was Resident Evil 2 for the PS1. Um, <laughs> yeah a little different tone yeah 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 but i mean but like the idea of like being in a spooky place and there could be something around the corner and you know and and like whatever version came out later where you could actually like it was first person and you could look around the whole environment and there was like zombies coming at you really fast like that's where i fell off i'm like yeah you know i don't i don't want the highly skilled twitchy kind of gaming i like the explore exploration and like the thing that i loved about resident evil the, the, the at least the first and second one was like you're in a room and the camera shot is static you can't turn the camera and you hear something from the stereo speakers down and around the corner like you're like it's like a shuffling noise you're like oh man i'm gonna have to walk all the way down that hallway if i turn that corner it might be right there you know uh that was yeah so like that yeah kind of, yeah good. you didn't have the power of the camera the 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 it, the camera was static, which puts it in the it becomes a narrative tool in that in that situation. And yeah, Resident Evil One had one of the most tense feeling things, and it was just the um that it, it was when you you open a door and there's a hallway with a with a, with an L shaped bend, but the camera's way up high, yeah, near the face of a of a of a crow looking yeah. down at you, yeah, who just shuffles a little bit. Uh, <laughs> what's gonna happen and, and your like, character has to get all the way down the hall so like you're getting smaller and smaller away from the camera so you can't quite see what your character's doing before the scene then when you make the turn the scene shifts and then you can see what that character <laughs> sees so that, it was brilliant brilliantly done working with the limitations of the technology to make it so that you know it it, it uh, totally um emphasized the suspense I guess I'm 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 kind of a, a sucker for suspense, uh, less than the thrill of horrification. Um, so Rachel Ross is in the chat and is talking about a game that I wanted to mention that I want to pull up on screen. Um, Little Nightmares. Have you heard of this one, Rob? I've yeah, I have heard of it. Um, I've uh, yeah, a friend of mine is uh, was incredibly excited about this game and kind of you know tracked it. And this is a situation where. Uh, I'm happy to know someone who is, you know, learning about this and playing it 
because mm. yeah, I get to interview them and learn about the game without actually having to play it. <laughs> <laughs> that was another thing Rachel was saying in the chat. It's like watching playthroughs uh, is like a, a really great way to experience these games without actually having to play them. And, and I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Oh, this does look creepy. Um, it's intensely, um, you know, creepy ambience and uh, just sort of the, the threat of overwhelming powerful environments and creatures within there because you're this you're this tiny uh character in a in a world of big dangerous things yeah uh, with lots of shadows and stuff you can't see neat uh okay so well we got through three recommendations right there little nightmares and uh luigi's mansion and if you want to go back in time resident evil 2 um i have a, a very short animation that I watch every October that I may have mentioned on the podcast in years past, but it's been a while since we talked about spooky stories. Um, you're familiar, Rob, I'm, I assume with the UPA telltale heart. I am. And I wonder if I learned about it from you. I've, I, like, yeah, funny. I've taught this, this, uh, I've used this cartoon in my classrooms for many years because it's, I wouldn't say it's especially comic booky, but it's closer to comics than what we typically think of as animation because they do so much with so little. Uh, let me try to skip ahead in the video while, uh, so you can see that there's not much movement in it, but the staging, the shading, the blocking, the art style, all of it contributes to it really delivering the tone of Edgar Allan Poe's story, which we're all familiar with, the, the story of the Telltale Heart, right? It's like the guy who murders an old man, buries him in the floorboards, and then he hears the beating of the heart, and it drives him up a wall, and he finally confesses to the murder. But, um, yeah, this version is narrated by James Mason, too, on top of everything else. But you can just see, like, again, it's it's designed to evoke a mood rather than represent right and it, it's clear that they have the capability to animate more than what they're doing but i think it's actually more effective because it's so there's so little as actually animated if that makes sense it feels more like a nightmare to me visually hmm. um so anyway yeah you can find it on youtube we'll link to it in the show notes it's only like i think like what is it it's five, it's seven minutes long. It's a seven minute long uh, piece of animation, but it's, it's, it's a really chilling one. Um, and it's just, oh, I, I, and plus it's James, James Mason, right? Come on. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, it's, it's interesting. The, the, there does not have to be a lot of ingredients or those ingredients don't have to be brought into high clarity and specificity for, um, in order to trigger, uh, you know, dread and, and, and fear, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and one can make the argument that it actually leaving more of it hidden is what triggers it, right? The mi mystery is what makes us feel fear. When the lights are out, you can't see it. That's what's so frightening. Uh, the, the, the example I always think of is the movie eight millimeter, which was a fine movie. It was okay. I liked it, but, um, the monster was so, well, if you do watch it, the monster is really cool until they show it. And then they show it, and it's like, oh, that's technically very well done. But now it was so much cooler in my imagination, right? And then I didn't have a picture in my head of what it was, right? Oh, so, you didn't? No, I don't, I don't know what I thought it was. But, like, the moment you see it and it becomes a thing, it becomes a noun, 
instead of like whatever undifferentiated mass it is in your head when you're when you're afraid of it, right? It's like it it, it takes away some of the the power of the image. And I, I feel like most most stories with monsters, like scary stories with monsters, like that's that's always the the drop off for me. Like almost every time, it's like uh, the same thing happened when I watched uh, The Ring. That's the one with the VHS tape, right? Um, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it. Uh, it's it's really upsetting and disturbing the first like two thirds of the way, and then like you finally see the thing at the end. I'm like, oh okay, I guess. <laughs> it's like it's it's not quite as scary as I thought it was, but like. You know, the, the premise is that all these people are dying because they watch this tape, right? And so you're like, what's on the tape? What happens at the end of the tape? And then you find out, you're like, oh, okay, that's creepy. But, you know, it's like way scarier what I didn't know, if that makes sense. Uh, it really does. And and I would imagine it's it's you're going from from infinite fear to something specific you could take issue with and work around somehow and uh that's that's interesting because if there's no there's no specific foothold to be like oh i know how i'd run away from that um yeah it, yeah if it, if the possibilities are are so amorphous and um um you know pot infinite potential for overwhelming and saying there's no option to escape this uh yeah, I, I wonder. I wonder why. Like, why? Why a story? To, like, we don't have to answer this right now. But, but I think it's interesting as a just open question. Why and and what leads a storyteller to uh, choose to get specific, and as opposed to leaving it uh, ambiguous? And yeah, yeah. And, and as I'm looking down my list of of choices, a lot of the, the ones that I picked have a serious amount of dread and a, a high level of ambiguity. And I think mm. that's why I like them so much, um, mm. which we're getting ahead of ourselves. We'll, we can, we can pick that apart, tease that out a little bit more later on, but um, let's get to another one of your picks. Oh, let's see. Uh, I remember seeing the movie, the thing way too young. Um, <laughs> How young, how young were you? Uh, I would say it was probably uh, 11 or 12. Same. Yep. So, yeah. Yep. And um, awesome movie. It's a great <laughs> but, movie, but it, oh, it's tough wow. for an 11 year old to get through it. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I don't know. It's one of those that, that I, I imprinted on so deeply that I haven't seen it that many times since, honestly. Okay. And the whole gist of the thing is, um, so you have this, 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 well, a lot of every thing is so famous and referred to, but in case, you know, you haven't, mm -hmm. uh, or just want a refresher, the, you have a, a, a crew of explorers in the Arctic and they encounter, um, in, in a, in, in a dig or a construction, I forget why, why and how, but well, they encounter something weird under the ice and, and it starts to um, cause a lot of issues with the team because it's actually it's it's a it's a creature of, right. of a sort. And the, the, the there's first... a lot of trust that's like so who's affected by this creature, and and who who makes it who doesn't. That's the whole issue of the thing. Yeah, and they're, and they're stuck in the middle of the Arctic. They're like, what are you going to do? There's no help. There's no way to go for help, and any one of us could be the monster, right? Um, 
on that topic, um, there's a podcast that I really enjoy called the Tear Them Apart Podcast by Evan Dorkin. <laughs> and um, oh, shoot, I'm forgetting the other host's name. Oh, shame on me. But um, it's it's a horror movie podcast, and they did an entire retrospective on John Carpenter films, and they spent a lot of time talking about the thing. So um, akin to, and what's the, it's called teartheapartpodcast.home.blog. We'll link to it in the show notes, but, um, but I mean, it, it's listening to them sort of summarize the story is a way to like, if you don't have time to watch it, yeah, what are you going to say, Rob? Uh, so it's hosted by Evan Dorkin and Paul M. Uh, Yelovich. Thank you. Ah, see, that's why there's two of us through the show. Uh, but yeah, they, they're, they're, they're John Carpenter retrospective episodes. It was a two-parter and they were really good. Cause it was just, they just summarize the story and sort of react to what the merits as they see them are. And they have nothing but nice things to say about the thing. Um, cause yeah, it's tough to make time to watch all these things. So it's nice to hear somebody like sum it up and, and YouTube is a great resource for this. You can just like go to like do, uh, John Carpenter's the thing, um, summary. And there's like a dozen people who have done sort of like wrap up assessments of the story um but the, the great thing about it yeah the, the the beginning of the film starts with this arctic expedition and they find i think i think it's uh, a norwegian expedition that is nearby like in the opening shot is they, they're like in a helicopter and they're shooting at a dog they got machine guns are trying to kill this dog and our heroes in the united states are like what are you doing you know and they don't speak Norwegian, so the Norwegian's like, don't, you know, don't save the dog. It's not a dog. It's a monster, you know, but they don't understand them. So, you know, the helicopter gets blown up or something, and then the dog, they take the dog in. They let the monster into the house, you know. Uh, right. So, which is another thing I just, I love that idea of, um, and this is like in Jaws, too, is like you, you meet the person who met the monster, you know, and you see, like, you get, you get, uh, yeah, I love, I love that motif. Um, yep. That right. And I remember now the flaws in my recollection of, uh, yeah, I, re I recalled a different portion of the movie. They, yeah. Uh, that, the, yeah, it's, it's, there are so many clever elements. Like I, I was, yeah. Fast forwarding to the whole, like, like you don't know who the monster is and, and you know, who do you trust? And that's an interesting tense dynamic, the, the being isolated tense dynamic, but it's, it just made of some, like the, um, like willfully thinking you're helping and that's you're, you've just in, you've invited doom and, uh, uh yeah, uh, that's tough. That's really tough. Yeah. A lot of clever dread in the, in that, um, and and I don't know why, like, I don't know, like it's, is is 12. Yeah. 12. I don't know if I wasn't ready to fully appreciate it. Um, but, but it scared the hell out of me. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the surgery scene, right? Like we all remember that, mm. Like yeah, that's, oh, I was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The whole <laughs> let's, let's, uh, let's try to remove the ambiguity because <laughs> this is, this is things have gone wrong now in this camp. Yeah. And, so they're they're trying to verify like who on the team is is uh, affected. Yeah. yeah. But but the thing about that too is is that like another brilliant thing about that movie is the monster has no form. It can take all sorts of forms. So like you never really know what the monster really looks like. So that's I think that's one of the reasons like I have such a fondness for that particular story. It's but it is visually it's very intense and and I think 
it pushes right to the edge of my line for gruesomeness. But I think it 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 keeps on my side of the line by virtue of the fact that it is uh, it's so rooted in science fiction fantasy. Um, all, even though the themes in it are very much about like you know um, suspicion, tribalism. You know how, how do you how do you trust people? What are what are the, what are the signals of trust, right? Uh, and yeah, and how how you can show up meaning well and let the doom in the front door kind of idea. Um, <laughs> oh, so well, that was we had that on our, both of us had that on our lists. Mm -hmm. um, so what's uh, like what's what's one quickie from uh, from yours your list that um, and we'll take a break because yeah, yeah and. I don't know. I'll mention one more too. Okay. Um, yeah. I want to mention. mention oh, cool. Okay. And I'll, I'll mention a short story. Um, so uh, there's a short story by Ray Bradbury called come into my cellar. And it is a, I mean, the title alone already is such a, like eh, what, but it takes place in the 1950s. And it, this little boy is he's in comic books had like a little section in the back where it's like, you could order all these different things. You could order, you know, a, a boat, you could order a six foot tall Frankenstein monster, you know, all these things you could order for like, just like 20 cents and a self-addressed damp envelope. And he orders these mushrooms. And the story starts with like people in town acting a little bit weird. And the boy's got these mushrooms in the basement that he keeps growing that he ordered from this comic book and then the dad is our character that we're following he figures out too late that the mushrooms are actually an alien species that people are ingesting and then being taken over invasion of the body snatcher style and mm. the ending is so good because it's so it it takes you right up to the edge of dread like dread 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 and I'm not going to tell you what happens next. You know, it's like that kind of ending, you know? So like you get to fill in the, in the blanks and how it ends. Oh my God, it's so good. So uh, it's it's not a long story. It's easy to find. Um, Come into my cellar by Ray Bradbury. What about what about you? Uh, let's see. It's a little tough to pick just one, but there's this whole era of anime that um, that I, I watched a little bit... Mm, anime that would work in creepiness because you'd have um you know some that would have uh plots that were based in spookiness but then you have some that would just visit spookiness right so i'm going to cheat and mention two so you've got like uh witch hunter robin set in uh with you know with some mystery and magic and uh occult stuff that is um you've got this this talented young um uh witch who is on a team of hunters, right? So fundamentally um, using a, uh, you know, using a witch to hunt witches essentially. And uh, that's, you know, that's Robin, the, the, the main character. Um, so you've got a lot of interesting dynamics of like, well, how does, how, like, how does a team trust this? You know, they're, they're hunting what she is, right? And why is she doing that hunting and stuff? So they explore a lot of interesting questions like that and what's, um, a lot of uh, uh, interesting mystery exploring the the relationships and like why does this you know why does this organization exist and stuff like that and and the kind of enemies they encounter which are always like they're powerful and scary hmm. so um, it's uh, it's it's it stays in that sort of um, you know mystery mysterious magical occult kind of stuff without going um it's not really gory and whatnot so okay. it's probably like rated tv 14 if i had to guess um 
And then uh, one I just I have to mention because of a giant love for the series, but uh, the, you know, Cowboy Bebop always has elements of the, um, you know, like creepiness, putting, you know, something, you know, grotesque next to cute and all this kind of juxtaposition stuff and a mix of um, dark emotion and, uh, and humor. But like they have a couple, couple episodes, and one in particular, Sympathy for the Devil, where there is a lot of, um, um, I mean, it really, it reminds me of these characters stumbling into a, um, it, some kind of mysterious power that is, is past, past their abilities. It's like kind of Twilight Zone-ish. It's kind of, um, uh, it's, it's, it's got this combination of horror plus action movie plus um, mystery mm-hmm. that is, um, uh, and then always intertwined is this, this emotional through line in Cowboy Bebop that has to do with the tone and the music. Right. And um, that's, that's, it's, um, it's a, it's a recipe for a good um, mysterious, creepy adventure. And so you get to see this party of characters, you know, you go on this, you know, a variety of adventures, some more funny than others, but this one is a creepy one. Cool. That's always Mm -hmm. fun too. Yeah. When you have like really capable adventurers get into the realm of like, secret occult slash supernatural slash cabal kind of thing um yeah um that's always fun to see the characters tested that way uh rachel's in the chat saying a spooky anime i love mushishi he is a traveling kind of doctor that solves diseases caused by supernatural bacteria it's creepy but Mm. kind of full of wonder um mushishi (laughs) i've heard of that one sounds cool (laughs) One more TV one, I guess, and then we can take a break is, um, and this has been a tradition of mine for years now, is Saturday nights, uh, Ann and I watch Sven Gulli on MeTV, if, if you have it in your area. Um, and it's just like one of those like horror host TV series, but like he always gets like really odd B-movie um, monster films like this Saturday, The Devil Doll is playing. Um but and then he'll also do like the very classic like universal monster movies and then there's like he does little bits in between where he like gives you a little bit of history about the movie does a few little jokes and songs and bits and puppet shows and things like that it's it's definitely very pg in the way it's done but um it's a way for me to check in on you know some monster movie that i haven't checked out yet like like the mole people i or yeah, I think it's the mole people. Uh, I'd never seen it before. I'd heard of it, but I never watched it until I saw it in Svenguli. So, um, Svenguli.com if you want to find out where it, where it is on your local station. So, hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I've been curious about that. You've mentioned um, your your sort of uh, like fun ritual and all that stuff around Svenguli, and it it just seems like um, it, it, that kind of tone of of like, hey, let's let's go to this. Um, you know, playful, creepy place, not necessarily, um, uh, it's, I would imagine that the kind of like, a, like a Sven Gulli evening probably doesn't lead to nightmares. No, 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 <laughs> no. Cause the, cause a lot of the movies, like there's some, he plays some that are like, like, like genuinely, I would say spooky, 
but he never plays like really truly frightening movies. As a matter of fact, like a lot of them are profoundly silly, right? Like like uh, Dracula versus Billy the Kid, right? I mean that that's a real movie that. <laughs> <sighs> so oh, that really speaks to a time. <laughs> In a lot of ways, it's like there's an industry that would fund a project, and a audience with the imaginations of, of like okay I got, I got to combine all my things that are fun all right well you know we got like lasers and wizards star wars that's coming in the future Can't yeah. wait, for now we've got billy the kid and dracula right. yeah wow there's a lot of stuff like that right like and a lot of them are like really doing their level best to do, to say something in the story but like it's just the technology isn't there yet or the sensibility is like a little bit off off beat or something like that. So most of the time they're yeah, very and I don't mean to, to to be like, you know, I'm like I'm a ironic t-shirt guy right now saying like <laughs> like like look at me. I hate it. Look at I'm wearing the shirt. Uh no, I I mean there's something about that. Like anytime like it's it is like on the surface, holy wow, that's okay. You got a like I mean, problematic cowboy fantasy stuff, right? <laughs> Mixed with, um, you know, a fairly iconic classic, you know, reusable because, you know, outside of copyright, Dracula, right? <laughs> right. Uh, it's uh, that kind of thing goes on right now. Like, I mean, in a show, like, like so even like that, that Cowboy Bebop episode, I could probably ironic shirt it, right? Um, that, oh, look at, they took this trope and that trope and... You know, nah, but I, I think that's interesting. We're always doing that for our stories and in, in juxtaposing um, stuff. It's just, just that's kind of a, it's still, it's kind of funny. Like, yeah. 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 No, I mean, it's like, yeah, that, that, that was when, when I told Anne that week, I was like, she's like, well, what's on Spangoli this week? I'm like, oh, it's Dracula versus Billy the Kid. She's like, oh my gosh, I'm there. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> in, in a very genuine and loving way, this is going to be profoundly silly, you know, but we're going to watch these, these actors chew up the scenery, trying to do a good job of this. And John Carradine as, as, uh, as Dracula is something to see. Um, okay. So how about we take a break and then we'll talk about some of the meta behind all these different things that we've talked about today sound good it's mm, excellent all right everybody we will be back in one minute and 30 seconds to talk about like why do these things appeal to us and for those of you who've been sharing some uh you know different uh picks of your own in the chat you know feel free to chime in with some ideas as to what's the whyness behind why you like these things before we do that though we have to thank some people who make this show possible and those are the people who support us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lean Into Art is the website. What is it? It's a way for you to support us on an ongoing basis. See, if you believe in what Rob and Jersey are putting together week after week on this project called Lean Into Art, you can support us for as little as a dollar a month. And I want to thank some people who have been doing that on an ongoing basis. Mike White. Thank you, Mike. You can find Mike on Instagram at MikeWhiteRobot. And Stephen Stonebush, thank you, Stephen, for believing in us and what we do. And Dave Say, you can find Dave Say on Twitter at Dave Say. We're big fans of, of Dave. Uh, David Armand Trout, thank you, David, for believing in us and what we do. And Dado, who you can find on Twitter at Dadotronic. You can join them all at patreon.com slash where you'll find all the shows we make. 
as well as the extra leans. The shows we record monthly only for people who support us on Patreon. Those posts become an open mic thread where you can talk about whatever you want. Speaking of talking about whatever you want, it also gets you access to the Patreon-only section of the Lean Into Art Discord, which is linked in the show notes for this episode and every episode. We'll talk more about it in a little bit later, but patreon.com slash leanintoart is the website. You can cancel any time. You can do a one-time donation, but we sincerely appreciate all the people who have been supporting us on an ongoing basis. Patreon.com slash leanintoart. Thank you to everybody there. It means a lot to us. It really does. Thank you so much. Okay. Let's see if I've got... Do I have anything that sounds scary? Um, well, I guess this is kind of, you know... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the track is called Catastrophe. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if this were playing in the background and you had the Resident Evil Crow, I'd be like... Mm-hmm. I think it's a space zombie around the corner. Ah. Oh, those Resident Evil crows. I mean, they you really only encounter them, like, I think one time in the game where they actually do anything, and the rest of the time they're just there to say, like, something scary's going to happen. Are you ready? I hope you're ready. Something scary. It might be around that corner. Nope, not around that corner. Not around that one. Maybe in the next one. Go through that door. And then do, watch the transition animation while you slowly ascend the stairs. Clunk, clunk, clunk. And then the door will open. Then it fades from black to the scene. Oh, I'm in a room full of three zombies, and I've got two bullets. Uh, those, yeah, those are clever. The 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 due to the like the hardware limitations. Like, what an excellent uh, adaptation. Like embracing um, a, load uh, a constraint of a platform. Yeah, right. The, the two two different things you mentioned are the 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 locked in camera angles right and uh because that was because the the backgrounds at the time they were pre-rendered and so you had essentially something that would uh like a like an art asset that would have been generated on a you know like an expensive workstation or a a server and then it gets loaded into the game as like it's not polygons and textures and lighting and all that stuff it is you know like a bigger computer could could do that another time. It's essentially it um, a static image. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it's a yeah. yeah. And then you have simpler polygons, you know, moving on the screen. Your characters, maybe the head or or portions, or even the full body of of the uh, crow, but like positioned. So all of a sudden, you've convincingly have this this um this composition that adds up to a convincing looking scene. That's amazing. A bunch of embracing constraints, but the dang CD needing to load what happens next instead of it being the like, oh, no, what's going to happen? And then you're taken out of it. They keep you in Uh because whatever that transition is, they'll have a pre-rendered sequence of frames with some sound. Yeah. Right. Yep. That is opening a door, turning a corner, walking down, uh, you know, upstairs, all that's it just. They keep you in <laughs> while the silly system is doing its job loading something. And, and it, and it becomes its, its, its own like really specific art to that. That's accomplishing its, its goal really well. So when I, when I bought my PlayStation one, the, 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 it's always been a very similar trigger with all the systems I buy. It's like, it's like one game that I absolutely must play and okay, I'll, I'll, 
chip it. I'll pay whatever it costs to get the system. I haven't gotten a Switch yet because that 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 one game hasn't happened yet. But for the PS One, there was a Beast Wars game, uh, Beast Wars Transformers, and I was like, I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's a bad game or not. It's Beast Wars. I gotta have it. I, I went and bought a PlayStation, and then I was looking on the shelf. I'm like, oh, what's that zombie game? And the, and the guy behind the counter is like, Yeah, it's a really popular zombie game. You'll really like it. I'm like, Okay, I guess I'll get that too. Um, and I played Beast Wars. <laughs> It was a bad game. It wasn't fun to play. It was like it was it was so like they didn't get the voice actors for it. The polygons were really it was like low resolution and like the the actual missions like it wasn't clear what you were really doing all the time. Um and then the load times that, that this is my first time you do playing a CD-ROM game. So I'm like it was just like all of a sudden there's a picture of Megatron it's like loading. Uh uh I'm like are you kidding me? I got to sit here and look at the static image while it loads. CD-ROM games kind of suck. And then I popped in Resident Evil. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, they, they worked around all of those limitations to make something really genuinely immerse, immersive. And I was so lucky when I played that game because I, I was like 20, I want to say I was like 21 or 22. And I lived with uh, a bunch of friends, you know, in, in a big house full of people. So like being, and when you're that age and you're working whatever job you're working, I had the bandwidth to be up at like four o'clock in the morning with the lights down with all my buddies like, you know, so like when the thing happens, we all scream, ah, you know. <laughs> oh. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I would uh, totally do, uh, you know, essentially couch, uh, you know, controller take turns uh, with, with friends and, and hang out and play that game in the dark for hours on end. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know, some... And so I think there is a very specific time-ishness to some kinds of horror experiences and some kinds of spooky experiences um, that, like, I think the reason that someone made, you know, like someone would make the thing, uh, not the thing, the movie, but make to make that, that kind of creative, creative work. Uh, I mean, it's, it's like, well, what, like they live, Right. So we didn't talk about they live, but like I, I have the DVD. Um, it's been ages since I've watched it and I started watching it again. It's been so long since I watched it. I don't think I watched my DVD ever. Like this is the first time I'm actually wow. using this piece of media. Um, I just never got around to it. And uh, again, like one of the, like so many different imprints and stuff, like I, I, in a way I don't need to watch it, but like, I forgot about the whole premise in the, in the start of it where it's like, it's so um, like it's class warfare is, is what's going on in there is the context. And I'm like, well, I could really see someone watching or, or writing a, a, they live again. Right. Mm -hmm. um, for essentially, you know, what in the heck, I don't know what they would do like to make a 2020 they live, but I could see, you know, like that kind of outlet, uh, like writers needing to express these ideas still today. And, and, and I'm like, which is a huge bummer. We haven't made the progress. Well, they live isn't quaint, right? right. It's like, oh, that's dark. You know? No, no. It's, it's, it's super unfortunate how relevant that story feels, right? The, the, the quaintness is in how it is in Roddy Piper's character, right? Like, it's like they, they take, are the situation that feels so relevant today. And they just put like, let's put a muscly guy who solves problems with a shotgun in the middle of it. It's like, okay, that feels very of its time. Right. It, it's well, very... he's quick to judgment. He, he's slow to learn. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Muscly yeah. and shotgun. And, right. and, and there's something cathartic about the scene in the bank. That's why that line is so memorable. I'm here to kick butt and shoot yeah. bubble gum, and I'm all out of bubble gum. You know, like that. That feels like, <laughs> oh, wouldn't it be great if we could solve our problems that way? Actually, it wouldn't be great if we could solve our problems that way because it's, it's it. He goes on a murder spree, <laughs> but but uh, it. But you feel it like your 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 primitive brain like reacts to that, right? And and of course the the fight with Sam Keith in the alleyway, put on the damn glasses, which goes on for 11 minutes or something like that. Um, and and what Sam Keith, David Keith, David. David Keith, sorry. Sam Keith is the max. Uh, he's but, but, but like what I love about that is like that it didn't glamorize the fight. Like in this weird turn, like John Carpenter says like, okay, let's do like the thing. that's like the eighties movie where he's like blasting the place up with a shotgun and like punching out aliens left and right. But then in the alleyway, we're going to show just how awful a fight really feels. And you feel it like every time they hit the ground, they're doing wrestling moves and stuff, but like it's dirty, it's gritty and it just doesn't feel pleasant. You know, it, it feels like it goes on forever. So, but, but the, I mean, the, what, what's the aboutness? the aboutness is like, it's about media literacy, right? And propaganda and, and how we can be lulled into false securities and persuaded into inaction through media. Absolutely. It's, uh, it has, and it, and it's, but, and it's, it's really expertly crafted, even though it, and it, it it's, I don't understand how how storytellers can make such a a simpleish seeming mechanism with this approachable layer on top of you know wrestleman uh ov- like just not ready to analyze and understand the world and what's going on but it's kind of just bumping into it and and like but but like we're getting taught along the way about these factors and and like outcome the dangers and then like the key mechanism of of yeah, media literacy being sort of the hey what if you did this and you could you know avoid these other problems and stuff and that that's uh i don't know i i i, I admire that when writers um pull that off because and it's they, easy to, to just be overly specific and pedantic or too explicit yeah. No, and that that's one of the reasons I love John Carpenter films so much is because another one we didn't talk about, but I know I I put it on my list knowing that I'm not going to talk about it in this episode in great length because I've talked about it a zillion times elsewhere is The Prince of Darkness, which is like probably my number one scary movie of all time. Um and and he does it in that and he does it in They Live is the the story starts out with a relatively normal situation relatively um, in that he's like an unemployed construction laborer who's just looking for work in Los Angeles or wherever. And, but as he walks through the city, we see these little tiny pieces of weird things where you don't know why. Like you suddenly you see this like pastor who is preaching about how, you know, the, the, the enemy is hidden in plain sight and you just can't, you have to look to see him. And then, um, and like that it cuts to a television with this man with glasses who's talking about like, He's like, we're interrupting this transmission because the enemy is all around us. And then all of a sudden the preacher starts mouthing the words that the man on the television is saying, and they're in two different locations, you know? And like, it's just a quick little second and it doesn't, it doesn't, he doesn't hang on it, but it just gives you these little pieces of an unease. Like, okay, there's the world, you know, and these little tiny things happening that just like, we go, what's that? That's weird. And like, I feel like that's so true to 
what makes us feel uncomfortable. Like when you're in a, when you're in a town you don't know and you're walking at night and you see something like just dimly under the street lamp and you can't make out what it is. Is that a trash can or is that a bear or is that something else? You know, it's like I don't know. Like everything feels normal, but there's one thing that's that's you know setting off my you know my fear reaction. So he he, he does that really well too. But like weaving in the uh the hidden danger and the environmental obvious dangers too yeah. of of like well okay maybe there's a shadowy murder bear right there um that that you discover and it's surprising but then why is the murder bear there right yeah and yeah yeah and that's yeah I, it, I, Prince of Darkness does this really well too. Like there's this moment where Donald Pleasance, Donald Pleasance, oh come on, Donald Pleasance is the greatest. And he's this priest and he's walking to his church and this this homeless woman walks up to him and she says, it's so wonderful that you're opening back the church back up. And then her voice like dips low. Like they, they you can hear them on the soundboard pitching it down. And then as she lowers her head and starts kissing his hand, she says, bring back the church. And she kisses his hand and then you see she's holding the cup and in the cup are a bunch of worms. And then she walks away. You know, and it's like, okay, well, that was weird. What was that all about? You know, it's like, but then, then he, he doesn't spend any more time on it. It's like, just to give you that little touch, a little touch of, okay, something weird is happening. It's enough to set you at ill at ease. And, and plus his soundtracks are always incredible too. But, um, mm. and the thing does that too. Uh, but to go back to something we hinted at in the first half that I find really compelling about his stories is how does the thing end, right? Let's, do we need to put a spoiler warning on a movie that's 30, 30 odd years old? Maybe. If, well, but, I'd say if we're, if we're spoiling a story, it's worth. Yeah. Okay. Say yes. Skip ahead 30 seconds. It ends with Kurt Russell and one other guy in the snow. The base is burnt to the ground and neither of them know if the other one has the entity in them. Right. And it just pulls back. Right. And that's the end. How does Prince of Darkness end? We never see the monster, right? The monster is there, like, in plain sight all the time, possessing people left and right, but you never see what it actually looks like. You see its hand for a second when it's getting pulled out of its dimension, but then the window, get, the mirror gets shattered, everything seems to be all right, and then there's this, this recurring element of this dream that people have from the future, right, that's being transmitted into their dreams, because in the, in, the, in, the, in the dream that they all have, they hear the dialogue, we can't transmit this to you in your conscious mind because there's too much interference in your thoughts. So we have to do this while you're sleeping. And the dream is always showing that in the year 199, and they never say the last number, uh, this entity, this creature has, has come to earth and it's, it's bad. Right. And they think they stopped it. And then our main character has that dream again, wakes up and walks to the mirror, gets ready to touch it. And then it just ends. Right. Like that kind of stuff, and let that into the night or come into come into my cellar by Ray Bradbury has a very similar kind of ending where it's like, let's take you right up to the edge of this terrible dread, and not, you know, let you fill in the ending. Dot 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 question mark. I love that. That that is so much more haunting to me than actually showing me the monster and t tying up the story. Um, well, questions questions are powerful, and it's not that. Um, well, questions can have the potential to be powerful. And, and I think you get this premise presented in, in, a, in, a, in whatever is robust and compatible and interesting to you way of, of uh, presenting a spooky or scary story. And, mm. and 
you're like, okay, you're, you're feeding me all these pieces and whatnot. But then, um, and then I wonder, it's like, how does that story deal with the questions it opens up is essentially the, is it, is it all sort of building anticipation like a YouTube unboxing video, right? <laughs> Where finally, you know, does, does the video end with, you know, do you get to see what's in the box right, you know, right. or not? Right. right. And, yeah. and I think that that's a pivotal thing as far as your own, your own tastes. And, and, uh, um, and I, I do feel like probably more, we get to see more monster unboxing than not. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and I would imagine that's probably a market driven thing, but probably, I wonder, probably it just, is it an untested assumption? that just feels like the right practice in the business of storytelling. Cause my know. understanding is, is that Carpenter's films did not do that great when they were released in theaters. Um, so uh, I, I do have to wonder if that is part of, you know, if it is a market driven thing and like they, they become classics later, but in the moment they were not, uh, you know, beloved. Um, hmm. So I wonder if there's, I suppose there are things like director's cuts, right? Mm -hmm. Where in, in some ways it's like, this was not meant to be exactly this, but it was more, you know, market compatible. And let me um, fix that monster unboxing or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, I wonder, that's, mm -hmm. um, hmm. I'm just thinking off the, t uh, uh, you know, exploring the question, not that I have a specific example. Um, uh, like you've you've done a um, a pretty good exploration as far as like well like what do you find what do you find compelling and it feels like like a lot of it is that that sort of setup without in without a lot of um, like hyper specificity right I, I, yeah like without... what makes it plausible what makes it like what tempts you. Like yeah. there's a fork in the road and it's like, do something else or scary story, right? Yeah. What makes that fork, what would make you turn down the, the scary path? Uh, I'm very attracted to um, religious and fantastical premises. Um, things that operate more properly in the realm of mythology. Like the Prince of Darkness, for those who haven't seen it, I mean, it's literally about satan <laughs> it's about the devil coming to earth by way of a uh incubation chamber that's older than the human race right it's like it's like millions and millions of years old and it's this like tube of glass with the spinning green liquid that these um the brotherhood of sleep the secret group of monks have hidden for a long time you know and now it's stirring and it's coming it's, it's awakening and satan's coming right um and, and so there's something already like kind of um, elevated and I would say implausible about that premise to start with, right? So like films like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, not for me, you know, um, movies about home invasion, about abduction, about body horror, about things like that. Uh, actually, Cronenberg movies as elevated as those are. Not for me. I tried watching The Fly with Jeff Goldman. I'm like, this is like a little bit too much, too visually intense, you know? And I think hmm. I like I like the promise and the implication of inevitable dread. But um, 
I it, it like I that's 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 what appeals to me. Um, and then when I show up, I want to have lots of room for speculation, and I don't necessarily want you to tell me what the answer is, right? Um, they live has an ending that has a very clear resolution of the story, uh, but I feel like that one is is so saved by the fact that the ending is so. 80s action movie and it even ends with Roddy Piper giving the finger to the camera. <laughs> it's so absurd and over the top. It feels like it's almost like a punchline. And again, it's a catharsis because it's like taking down, you know, big media, whatever. But um but when I think of the other ones that I really like, like uh The Fog, you know, The Thing, Prince of Darkness, uh even come into my cellar. Some of my favorite Twilight Zone episodes. I love the Twilight Zone. You know, the monsters are due at Maple Street. You know, we all know that story, right? It's like that small suburban town where the lights start flickering and then, like, they don't know what it is. And instead of, like, trying to put their heads together and collaborate and cooperate to solve the problem, they all turn on each other. And it doesn't have a resolution. It doesn't end with any kind of, like, well, we sure learned something about this. <laughs> it's just more like it just ends with pulling back and you're just listening to the chaos of the town, you know? Um, there, there's something, yeah, there's something, like, I guess, like the, um, what is the word for that? Entropy, right? It's a story about, like, it almost feels like a story about entropy or the ongoing tension between order and entropy. And not having, there's no victory. That's an oscillation that just just happens. That that feels, even though the stories are elevated, there's feel, something feels very true about that statement. If that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, it does. And I think like a lot of different uh, themes and genres can can accomplish that kind of, um, uh, I guess, seed of a of a premise, right? Because like entropy versus order is probably not going to win a pitch meeting right but like <laughs> as as like this extra um like this this boost of of saying that um like i don't know some somehow uh like danger exists things that um are unknowable that that can uh can can appear and and we can see other characters safely well i'm safe they're not i can from my safe distance i can experience the um the the scenario and problems and, and issues and and maybe failures maybe solutions of, of of these characters you know dealing with um well the results of well uh, uh, like let's see a, a corporation that is is trying to uh, militarize and and maybe even uh, control the world with some kind of you know thing that ends up creating zombies like the Umbrella Corporation in Resident Evil, which mm -hmm. I actually like. Um, uh, I need to go back. I, I think I've seen three of the movies, but I haven't seen them all in the Resident Evil movie series. And uh, that's that. Some of that encapsulates a bit of the like. Um, the themes that make uh scary and spooky palatable like i like when we have a team or discover ability to battle the spooky right 
Yeah. And that's yeah. where, yeah, I mean, in, in Resident Evil, uh, the main character discovers an ability to, to fight. And that's, uh, you know, it turns out it's, it's pretty necessary. It's been, and uh, the, uh, and I, so, so something in there, right. And, and then mixed with um, probably not too much, uh, not too much gore, but like, I want there to be stakes. It's, it's a, it's like, I don't want characters to, to, to die, but they need to. Right. Mm -hmm. And it keeps it, it keeps it interesting and stuff. Like there's like one of the characters is uh, like one of my favorite characters in the first Resident Evil movie like is um gets in over their head and I'm, i i love to be i'm not spoiling a darn thing so yeah. go ahead and <laughs> check me for spoilers i got none on me <laughs> uh, so but uh, yeah it's, th- it's a yeah th- th- that that's i was thinking of the movie train to busan which i think we talked about in a read watch play episode recently which was like boy that was a mistake to watch in the middle of a pandemic are you familiar with this movie no it's a zombie movie that takes place on a train. It's a Korean movie. Uh, mm-hmm. So you're on a bullet train heading to Seoul, and a zombie gets out. Somebody who's infected with the zombie bite gets on the train. And now mm. the train can't stop because the outbreak is happening in all these towns that it's passing through. Or no, the, the, the train's actually it's train to Busan. It's not heading to Seoul. It's heading to Busan. But um, so like the, the conductor is calling ahead going like, we got to get these people off this train. There's like cars full of zombies now. And they're like, no, you can't stop here. There's a zombie outbreak here too. And they're like the fast zombies and everything. But, um, but uh. there's, they do the, the, the trick that they do in these kinds of stories, which is you make one character who is so deeply lovable. They are so everything you would admire in a person in this kind of crisis and like, oh yeah, yeah, they're gonna get eaten, and they're gonna get eaten hard, and they're gonna get eaten in a way that is really tragic, and and it's so right for their character. They have to do it. They have no other choice but to do this thing. But when you when you see it coming, you know, like Anne was sitting next to me, and she's grabbed my arm. She's like, no, 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 not him, not him, not him. I'm like, yeah, he's gonna go. He has to. That's the structure of these stories, and I don't want to watch it either. I love this guy, you know. But like when it happens, you're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. So, but that's part of the emotional ride of that kind of story, right? Um, yeah. I mean, writers are. I mean, they may like you, but they they want to hurt you. Yeah. Um, so, and I say this, uh, you know, I, I do like to I do like to write. I'm I, I'm I'm working on some stories, and. Uh, uh, and so I get that sense where I'm like, I get this writer haunting, like, oh no, there's a writer decision I'm detecting. Yeah. They're going to do it to me, aren't they? Oh yeah. And, and when they do it good, when they do it really well, it's like you could see it coming and it still hurts. Like you just got caught off guard. Like you got slapped in the face by it. Right. It, it almost makes it worse because you can see it coming. Like there's this part where he's preparing to do something and he turns to some other people that he cares about. And he starts telling them like, okay, you got to go over here. You got to go over here. You got to do this. And you smell it in the water, like oh he's gonna die. Oh, and then you like start drinking in this last moment you have with this character, like oh I want I, I just want to cherish everything about you before you go do this really wonderful noble thing that is gonna be ultimately tragic for you, you know. Um, but in those kind of stories, I also find are it, Prince of Darkness. I think falls into this camp too, where you're watching 
a group of people cope with an impossibly bad situation and see who rises up and who falls apart, right? And in a zombie movie, you almost always have, or not almost always, I shouldn't say this, I'm not a scholar on zombie movies, but I've noticed this pattern of there's somebody who is a complete butthead, right? Like they're in it, they're responding to everything out of fear. They're not collaborative. They're just waiting for their chance to like bug out and let it, leave everybody in the lurch, right? And in Train to Busan, there is this truly just vile human being who like takes teenagers and throws them into the horde to buy himself time. You know, he is such a reprehensible, disgusting human being. And his, his ending is really, really good. The way they, t they deal with his character arc at the end, you're like, oh, I don't have sympathy for you. I have a lot of pity for you, though. And you're, you're just a, a horrible human being. And you kind of deserve what's happening. But at the same time, I see now, I have a bigger picture on why you were so reprehensible. So, because um, mm. that's another thing, I don't th feel like you can spoil zombie movies. <laughs> this, this is, a couple people are going to live. That, that's, that's usually the way they go, right? And then even in like the case of, um, which was it was that remake they did in like 2007 or 2008, which was like Day of the Dead. Was that what it was? Um, oh, yeah, yeah, like that one. Dead, uh, Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead. I think that was what it was. And that one, that like, because Day of the Dead was the sequel. And yes, I watched those growing up. I, I think I even had Dawn of the Dead on Laserdisc. But, Whoa. I uh, know. Uh, I'm messing around, <laughs> but I, you know, I. Uh, what were you thinking about uh, that remake? Oh, oh, just just that um, it ends, and then they do that tricky thing after the credits, where it's like, oh, okay, whew, that was a tough story, and then it's like, oh, wait for it, and like, oh no, <laughs> so it, that that's mm. fun too. Uh, but and Shaun of the Dead, which is a zombie comedy, I'm sure you saw that. Yeah, I yeah I did too, actually. That one's pretty good. Interesting. Pretty good. Plenty of. Um, like it's talk about weaving in themes and different sort of tastes and palettes and stuff. It's like, that's not like a, uh, in tone, it has so many com comedic elements. Mm -hmm. uh, it has a bit of irony, but it's a horror movie. Yeah. And, and it does a good job. And, and, and it uh, has a ton of heart in it. Right. Like there's like a lot of like, really, I would say, um, genuine and authentic emotional moments in the story um for something that's so absurd yeah 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 and so that's another kind of um yeah and i guess that's a that's the thing too it's like when there's enough of those elements and i get i get i get really satisfied when there's some some surprise in how it happens because i guess you're right it's a little bit like colombo you see the murder or you see the the crime you know what happens you know who did it Right. It's just a matter of how is it going to play out. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I I would say very much so. I mean, like in 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 a monster movie too. It's like there's they're either going to stop the monster or they're not going to. You know, <laughs> it's not it's it's a pretty straightforward idea. So then it's like okay, well, how are they going to do it? Um, so yeah, and like I said, I look for I look for uh, ambiguity and implication and promise and. I tend to get hooked on the ones that have like an inevitable kind of dread looming over the whole thing. Like there's no way it can get any better for these people. It's just impossible. Right. Um, and it's not important to me that they get out of it in a clear way. 
Halloween three is another one like that, right? How, I don't know if you remember Halloween three. Um, season the, of the Witch. Season of the Witch, yeah, which was like the non-Michael Myers one. Some people don't like it because of that, but uh, that ending is pretty darn good, I think. I need to rewatch it. Saw it when I was young, didn't see it again. <laughs> Over um, Shamrock. That's the one with the Halloween masks? masks yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, well, that's stuck in my head at least. <laughs> oh. Uh, did we walk around uh, the topic? I th- oh yeah we okay. we did it's it's um yeah we had a lot of great uh, mentions in the chat and reactions and stuff um so this is I think a lot of people care about um Spooky. the spookiness right so <laughs> yeah I guess so so maybe this is something we can revisit again um you know and after October because I'm gonna be you know soaking up all the monster movies all this month um have something to say afterwards like i don't know another one that's like a a staple every year is the colossus of new york which is not a great movie but it is an interesting sort of meditation on transhumanism because it's about like you know like uh, a doctor a, a very very well-respected surgeon who gets hit by a car he's gonna die and his dad is this brilliant roboticist who puts his brain inside of a robot body and so it's like silly 1950s science fiction as silly 1950s science fiction goes but like, there's this idea of what part, where does the you-ness end, right? Is it just the brain and the brainstem? Or if you take away everything else, is there some, is something lost, right? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good, um, really related concept. Because a lot of it, I mean, you're dealing with, uh, you're dealing with mortality, you're dealing with decay and un, undesirable change. Yeah. Uh, through through big and small events that that um and then it's like well how can you face them is your ability to face them removed is your yeah there's a lot of things that that would suck and horror like scary and and spooky stories are able to either gently or super aggressively put you in those situations um and and i i like a bit of a little spice, but not too spicy. I like, <laughs> like a lot of spice in my food, but not too much spice in the monster <laughs> scary stuff. Just a little. Yeah, same here. All right. Uh, cool. So how about we take one more break, and we'll come back and check in on our two-minute practice, and then we'll call it a day. What do you say? Sounds great. All right. So uh, in about minute 30, two minutes, we'll come back. Um, talk about you know what we're practicing for next week but first we gotta thank some more people who make the show possible those people are us we make the show possible and the thing that i make that i hope you will check out you know the holiday season is upon us and everybody's thinking about like well how what do i get for the people that i care about um whether you celebrate you know christmas hanukkah solstice you name it this is a time we're and heading into that time of year and so this is a time for me to remind you that i make comic books and I make comic books for young children. And so you can find them at my website, jdros.com. You can find Science Comics Rockets, which is the history and science of rockets as told by the animals who participate in rocket history. It's a very funny book that will teach you how rocket physics work. Um, and then there's also my fantasy stuff like Boulder and Fleet, Adventures for Hire, Mining for Trouble, which you can find 100, 90-something no, odd page graphic novel about animals doing people things and high adventure. But then also you can find the Warren Commission report there, which is a comics documentary about the Kennedy assassination. So if you're a history buff or if you know a history buff in your life who you want to get something nice for, 
It's there, jaderose.com, and you just follow the link that says, buy my books. So, Rob, you, you got a thing. You make stuff. Yeah, um, I have a store with a variety of products and things I the, yeah, things I make and sell and, and services as well. So I do creative process coaching and uh, a variety of flavors of that, whether it's you know for you individually or for your teams, you want to incorporate some uh, user-centered design things into your work, uh, go to robstenzinger.com slash store.html and you can find all about that, whether it's choosing a career path, next... The next thing you make as a creative, um, like, well, and a, a maker of stories and independent um, professional, well, that's that's part of your career path. And um, you know, it's interesting. We we did an episode of Lean Into Art podcast where I did a coaching session with Jersey, exploring that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, so get in, get in touch with me. We can set up some sessions and uh, help you explore what you're doing next. But then for something that's just sort of, uh, you know, come in, check it out, some good learning experiences to solve a variety of problems with your, your creative projects. Um, two workshops I want to recommend checking out are uh, drawing user journey maps. That is a huge help booster superpower thing for helping you see a project from a wider set of perspectives and including yourself or and the members of your team with different hats, things like considering the uh, like the system aspect of what you're making and how it connects with your audience and considering them as they go through, well, before they learn about your thing and when they're first learning about your product or service and then on through um, getting to experience it more while you create a user journey map. And it's a, it's a really helpful planning and, and problem solving tool and collaborating tool. Another thing that is really good for this time of year, Jersey mentioned uh, the, the gift givings and uh, maybe you use creative challenges to help you get through the process of making stuff for other folks. You can use it for a variety of things. And that's what this workshop is all about. Customizing your next creative challenge. You can make it and tune it well, like we were talking about like scary and spooky things in, in the podcast main episode here. Well, maybe you like really hard challenges that you don't know how they're going to end. And that's something you can, you can be really purposeful about and, and, and find a way to design it in a way that works for you, for the experience you want and for the outcomes you're seeking for your, your next creative challenge, instead of just sort of taking it like as it, as it is off the shelf. Uh, make it work for you. And that's, uh, yeah, all that stuff is available at robstenzinger.com slash store.html. That's awesome. Thanks, Rob. And then the last thing we hope you'll check out is the Lean Into Art Discord. Yes, we have a forum now where you can interact with us in between shows in a time-shifted way. And so instead of, the, instead of all comments being rooted to the specific video stream that we did, you can talk about other things in a time-shifted way. And there's a special Patreon section where you can post, you know, just things about that, that are happening to you uh, or happening in your life, like a social channel. Um, but then there's also a channel for challenges and quests, and this is where you can post things that you're doing for uh, the two-minute practice, which we're going to talk about next. So the link to the Lean Into Art Discord is in the show notes for this episode and every episode at leanintoart.com. All right. And I will say, for the user journey maps thing, I mean, I'm using that right now as a way to, you know, when I'm reporting back to the people I work with at CXC to sort of tell the story of our festival. 
how do we reflect on this big thing that just happened to us? Well, let's look at it from the perspectives of the constituencies that we are attempting to serve. Like, how did, what, what, what was a success story from the perspective of an attendee? And how, what principles did we arrive at in order to understand what success even looks like for an attendee? Uh, so if you are a person who has to work with other people and has to explain to them the value of the thing that you're all making together, the user journey maps uh, approach that Rob has at, in his store is very, very valuable. It will, it will equip you with some very um, uh, empathetic ways to get people on board with your thing. Ah, thanks, Jersey. That's, uh, that's awesome to hear. It's, uh, it's easy to sort of evaluate success based on what, what we, I mean, it's not easy. I mean, you've, you've worked to build the skills you have for the role you have on your team and your organization. And so of course you evaluate stuff based on like, well, I'm on the marketing team or I'm on the engineering team or I'm on mm -hmm. this team or that team. And this, uh, the user journey map approach purposely helps you take one another's perspectives and especially the pers perspective of uh, the point of view of people in your audience. Maybe it's, you know, even if it's one point of view of someone that's outside your organization that that benefits from what you're putting into the world, it gets you out of that sort of um, maybe incredibly powerful and useful, likely incredibly powerful and useful set of um, ways that you evaluate decisions and, and collaborate. And it includes more, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it, it's just a helpful way to in, uh, include each other in deciding like, well, how something went, that's a cool thing that you mentioned too, looking back or, and, and especially, well, for what you might do next, because then you can think, well, oh, at this particular point in the journey, this is where we experienced, you know, the more, more things that we wanted to go differently. We wanted it to go better. So, hey, let's put our, put some time and attention on that to make it different. Yeah. Okay, Thank so let's check in on the uh, two-minute practice. What are we doing and uh, reporting on next week? Well, I like there was there was uh, in the chat um, was it uh, Sarah Loutfi? Yeah, if, if I'm okay. And, uh, mentioned a, a uh, like let's make color palettes, and uh, and it, it just it seemed like such a what what a perfect thing. Uh, to like, you can uh, take a picture and get some colors out of it and now have a color palette. And if, and if that goes quickly for you, well, what are your thoughts about that color palette? Does it, you know, does it seem like a good fit for this thing or that thing? Or what, how does it feel when you look at that color palette? Um, so how's it going so far for you? Or do you want to oh, check in at all? Well, the idea occurred to me, uh, well, when, when it was first proposed, it's like, well, autumn is upon us. This is a time where, like, there's a lot of color in the world, at least, in again, in the uh, northern hemisphere. Um, so this is an opportunity to grab some interesting color palettes. But then as I thought about it, I was like, well, there's also, you know, it's Halloween. I'm setting up my yard decorations. I'm, I'm going to take some snapshots of that and, like, grab some colors off of that and see what kind of spooky palette I can get. And I also thought, well, why limit myself to photographs? Let's also go to some... Uh, I do this other podcast called the four million years later show where I spend a lot of time talking about some transformers cartoons with my buddy Hoover. And a lot of my show prep is grabbing screen grabs of interesting compositions from the show. Anybody who's listened to it has heard me go on and on about like the framing and the composition and all that. 
And so I was like, wow, I've got a, this huge bank of screen grabs. I'm, I wonder what color palettes I can grab from those, too. So I've been doing all of those. And, um, yeah, it's just it's been, it's been a fun sort of like low, uh, emotionally and time-wise inexpensive way to acquaint myself with color in, in a thoughtful way that I, I don't give myself the, the room to typically. So that's ah, where I'm at. That's, that's really, uh, it, that's, that's what I was, uh, I'm just, I'm just really thankful. Like the, the two minute practice is all about making it easy to try new kinds of things and, uh, and I don't know, revisit, get new perspective on things that you haven't practiced in a while. And this color palette thing is, um, it is an ongoing tool. Like I'll visit it for sometimes with, with projects um, doing some planning, what kind of feel do I want for this? But then it's kind of like, well, I solved the color palette problem and I don't visit it for till another project comes up or what have you. Mm -hmm. and, and so this is neat where you just get to live with uh, the color palettes. And um, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll share more details. I've been experimenting with, uh, with different ways of um, like, there's, there's apps that let you just extract a color palette from an image automatically. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so I've been using that approach, but now I'm going to try um, the manual approach too. Ah, cool. And we'll talk about it in length or at length in the next episode. So you have one more week, everybody, to participate in this two-minute practice. Uh, and for those of you who are part of the Lean Into Art Discord, this is one of our public channels, so you can go post your results in challenges uh, underscore quests. So, all right. Hey, thank you, Rob. This was a fun one to do. Thanks, Jersey. I like this uh, this topic a lot. Appreciate it. you have a surprising amount of for for the for the rated G aspect of of your style and service that you bring to the world. You've got a lot of a lot of ideas and, and experience in this space. So, oh, that's fun. cool. Uh, all right. Well, anybody else wants to uh, thoughts, questions, comments? You know, we're going to have some social links that were that happen at the end of the show. We record this weekly on Thursdays, and we stream it live on Discord and YouTube and Facebook and um, what's the other one? Twitch. Uh, and then we collect it as a podcast at leanintoart.com and patreon.com slash leanintoart. We'll be back next week with another one. Until then, I have been Jersey Drozd of leanintoart.com, Jersey Drozd on Instagram. And I've been Rob Stenzinger of leanintoart.com and places I'm Rob Stenzinger all over the place like Instagram. Okay. Bye. Show notes for this episode can be found at leanintoart.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the user leanintoart. And you can reach us via email at leanintoart at gmail.com. And remember, leaners aren't wieners. Thanks for listening.